Hey, it's the Shooting the Sheep podcast, a weekly podcast where a couple awkward mumbly dorks come together to talk everything related tabletop gaming and the like. I'm Jay. I'm Miles. And I'm Jay. She, they. I'm the only one that remembered pronouns. Okay, he, him for the other Jay. Was, was that pithy enough for you? He, him yes. for me too. I forgot we were we were starting to do pronouns uh, in the intro. And it's the year of our Lord, 2022. All the teens have pronouns, <laughs> and they're doing podcasts. You know, it's funny. I didn't have pronouns when I was younger. Um, honestly, they just gave me immense trauma when I was little. Both the bullies and the tr- pronouns. Yeah, I, I think pronouns are the real bullies. That's what we've learned here. I I only started getting pronouns in the last couple of years. Before that, I had amateur nouns. <laughs> I only had verbs. <laughs> <laughs> that meme where it's like, you guys had nouns? <laughs> uh, so, um, happy Valentine's Day to anyone that celebrates Valentine's Day. It's yeah. funny how this holiday apparently makes no one happy. Happy Valentine's happy- Day on today, February 18th. As you're listening oh, to this. Uh, whatever. Happy Valentine's Day. Valentine, you know what? They they make Christmas last way too long. Let's make Valentine's Day last all year. When long. did Valentine's Day start happening? I know it's like the, it's the easiest cynical thing to be like, "Oh, it was invented by the greeting card companies to sell more chocolates and comically oversized teddy bears that nobody will ever find a place to put in their house." But like, when did that start? I I don't know, but, like, here's the thing. Forced days where, like, you're expect... I'm all for days where you were encouraged to show affection for people, whether that's through gifts or just small gestures. Um, but I don't like when the expectations are forced upon people. Um, well... Oh, actually, via firstpost.com, it is believed that Valentine's Day has its origin in ancient Rome when the Feast of Lupercalia was celebrated from 13 to 15 February. Emperor Claudius II had ordered St. Valentine, a priest who helped Christian couples in getting married, to be executed! Mm -hmm. Oh, that's lovely. Happy Valentine's Day! Yeah, I mean, the the execution of St. Valentine was a pretty fucking gruesome one, apparently. Um... But also, what do you think? I mean, what they do. Uh, I, if I remember right, he was essentially like drawn and quartered or some shit. Like one of, the, like, Ooh. one of the rough ones. Um, I could be absolutely wrong though. It's been quite some time since I learned about it. Um, I and drawn and quartered. It it's called quartered because they break you into four pieces with the horse. Yeah, I mean, technically they break you into five, but... Speaking of breaking, today our subject matter that we will get to eventually is trying to make sure your party doesn't break up when there's kind of a conflict of morals and ethics and goals. Just, I'm sure people have experienced this here. You are in your traveling party or you are GMing a traveling party and just... There's the question is, why are we even doing anything together? I'm going to be honest. Usually this happens early or on in a campaign, usually after like the first adventure. Um, 
but we'll get to that when we get to it. How are you doing today, Miles? Uh, I'm doing all right. I had my first actual good night's sleep since the release of Legends Arceus, so uh, I'm I'm actually doing all right today. <laughs> He'd be up late into the wee hours, haunted by the shiny ponyta that slipped his grasp. Wow, really? A shiny ponyta slipped your grasp in Legends Arceus? I know no. about your actual backstory, Miles. I've heard your tragic backstory. Um, no, it just kicked off a really negative change to my sleep schedule, um, which has only recently been corrected. But now I can sleep. By electroshock therapy. I mean, I mean, I mean, it was adjusted on the same day I got an MRI, so may maybe a little bit. Those huh. electromagnetic magnetic <laughs> waves readjusted my brain. They did an MRI, and there was like a Voltorb lodged in his skull. Well, my sleep schedule is fantastic. I'm -da. I'm a hundred pounds lighter than I was last time we talked. I that's I, that's not good. My 30s has been going amazing. Um, Jay, please seek Jay some help. A <laughs> hundred pounds in a week? <laughs> oh, pshaw! It's very healthy. Um, just so long as you know you remember what really matters in life, your Lord and Savior. I don't have a finishing up end of this bit. Saint Valentine, who had all of, <laughs> who had his balls pulled out through his eye sockets, oh, uh, for execution for letting those dastardly Christians become wedded. I feel like that's a when it comes to the Christian persecution complex, like the idea that Saint Valentine was executed for marrying Christians. I think like that's probably really made up. I think. I mean, Christianity well, was absolutely Hulk. seen as, like, essentially an invading force in the Roman Empire at that point. Um, because it was, it was absolutely, like, it was going for that cultural religious victory in Civ. Uh, and it did. It won. Well, in the spirit of the holiday, I love Jay. Because uh, he's made the mistake of allowing me to play every Xeno game with him this year. Because we live in the best possible timeline for him. Or the worst one. The one where I'm excited for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And not, like, disgusted that it is looks like a bunch of sex crimes like Xenoblade Chronicles 2 did. So, congratulations, hon. Yeah, just a pile of sex crimes. Listen... One of these days, we'll have a com we'll have a topic where we discuss the ethics of creating a sentient kink robot. But that's not our topic today, I think. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we'll have to get our friend Ava on for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so I'm gonna be honest. I haven't looked up any news. Oh, wait, but Miles, okay. Yeah. Right. Um, I forgot. There's the thing. Yeah. Go so, right ahead. Le lead the charge, I guess. So, 
a couple of us had noticed the other day that Pathfinder 2E was trending on Twitter. And that was pretty cool. It's like, all right, yeah, that's neat. Oh, why is it trending? Oh, no. Um, everyone is mad at Wizards of the Coast right now. Uh, both because... And it's largely stemming from them shutting down a fan-made NFT project where people were trying to create a new format of Magic the Gathering where your cards were also NFTs. And Wizards of the Coast came in and said, hey, this is our intellectual property. You can't actually do that. Um, so NFT bros got mad. But then also in that cease and desist, Wizards of the Coast hinted that they are absolutely planning on making NFTs, which, big fucking shock, of course they are. Hasbro has already put out NFTs, and Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. Um, but like, oh, well, now everybody who hates NFTs, rightfully so, they're garbage, um, also is mad at Wizards of the Coast. So then everyone was like, all right, well, hey, if you hate Wizards of the Coast and you're mad at them, don't play D&D 5e, play Pathfinder 2 instead, because they're totally comparable systems at this point. Um, and then, you know, more discourse happened because people started talking about like, oh, well, you know, Wizards of the Coast has such a stranglehold on the market, it's impossible for smaller games to survive, which is technically untrue, financially speaking but not true from a cultural standpoint. The cultural perception is absolutely vastly in favor of D&D and no other systems. Um, but then even more discourse happened, including some one of the dudes who made Prototype, who has apparently made multiple tabletop RPGs that have been so successful I've never heard of them before. Um, <laughs> talking about how oh you know if your if your game if, if your indie game can't survive that just means it's bad your game can't survive because it's bad and you know if you if you think wizards of the coast has such a stranglehold on the industry you're just being paranoid and ridiculous and you're just uninformed about how how the market actually is like, like this guy made prototype. I can't play that shit. It doesn't work on PC. I got it on Steam. <laughs> Eat my whole ass, dude. Okay. Um, you know, I'm gonna. I I hate to disagree. Okay. I don't know. It. I feel like that. First. Sorry, I'm gonna cut this little bit of mumbly bits here. So Wait. If you cut mumbly games, bits, we'll. <laughs> If you cut mumbly bits, we'll lose, like, 90% of the runtime of our podcasts. Yeah, well, actually... Good, it's too long. <laughs> so, I, I, um, I was thinking, Monty Cook Games, the people that do Cypher System and Numenera, which are successfully decently sized games, they still put out a lot of their stuff to be 5e compatible... Because of the stranglehold on the market. Yeah, 5e, I, 5e has a dominant market share. Like, it, it is what people think of, and so it's easiest to onboard people to new things by making them 5e compatible. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but you know what? This will be, uh, maybe, uh, when 
Wizards actually does come out with their concrete NFT plans. We can be right there with our podcast full of short little bursts of episodes where people can see all sorts of new tabletop games. Which um, we'll actually talk a little bit about later when we talk a bit about that session zero that we played with Jay. In a little bit of a contrast to this weird uh, NFT bullshit, there is uh, two announcements. One by uh, uh, by the two largest digital storefronts for tabletop role-playing games. Uh, DriveThruRPG stated, In regards to NFTs, we, so, we see no use for this technology in our business ever. And uh, from itch.io, itch.io, um, their statement is, one second here. A few have asked about our stance on NFTs. NFTs are a scam. If you think they are legitimately useful for anything other than the exploitation of creators, financial scams, and the destruction of the planet, the, we ask, then we ask you to please reevaluate your choices. Peace, an emoji of a hand making the peace symbol. Also, expletive deleted, any company that says they support creators and also endorses NFTs in any way, they only care about their own profits and the opportunity for wealth above anything else, especially given the now easily available discourse concerning the problems of NFTs. How can you be so dense? Emoji of a frowning face with a single tear. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, to punctuate NFT discourse, our dog just did a full like second and a half fart. <laughs> it was the type where he was like just cash, like just looking at something else, and then he decided to look at his butt. Like, what the heck is that? What's what's happening here? Oh, I. That's gonna be actually really interesting to see how drive-through RPGs stance on NFTs either changes or uh, I, either their stance changes or that stance has an impact on the fact that they are partnered with uh, DMs Guild. Oh, what has uh, DM's Guild said about all this? Well, DM's Guild is operated by Wizards of the Coast, so presumably positive. Right. Um, I forgot. Yeah, but DriveThruRPG is po- is partnered with DM's Guild, so either that's potentially no longer going to be the case, or it will continue to be the case, and DriveThruRPG isn't going to, you know, disrupt that, that source of revenue, which... You know, they are a business, but also, you know, money where your mouth is. But to get, <laughs> but to give a fair shake to the potential of what NFTs can do in the tabletop space, imagine if you are playing a game with a certain character, like a particular cleric named Alan, uh, and you registered that character, your ownership of him on the blockchain, and then you could take him to other tabletop RPG games and play as the same Alan the Cleric in Pathfinder, or Suede, or Dungeons and Dragons 6th Edition. It carries over no matter what. That's the sort of thing that can only be accomplished by NFT integration. Mm Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I mean, hey, now you've got extra incentive to make sure your character doesn't die. Because then you're... (laughs) you're, uh, $17,000 NFT is worthless. Oh no, my ape was taken. (laughs) All my my apes gone. (laughs) Instead of tearing your character sheet up, you just hold a magnet to your hard drive. (laughs) You have to, by law. You don't own it anymore. He's dead. (laughs) So are... All my apes gone. Are all um, characters going to be apes now in 5e? I definitely gotta be doing something. 
Oh, God. Gonna have some sort of fucking bored ape as a as a character. Oh, man. Okay. Well, well um, that's ha- it for news. Okay. Should we get some guys going? Please. I, I need guys. You don't understand. I need a guy right now. Okay. Miles. I'm holding out for a guy till the end of the night. But not after that, because frankly, I'm very impatient. I will just go out for um, hamburger instead. Give me a guy whose fighting style is juggling. Okay. All right. I guess not not necessarily fighting style. Who's... Who's... uh, uh, okay, fighting style implies, you know, fighter, cleric, whatever. Whose who's main duties in... Or, or, you know what? No, I'm just going to stick with fighting style. I'm muddying the waters. Yeah, a guy whose fighting style is juggling. How much... Hard, can, hard mode, no bombs. How much can we break the rules of D&D for this? Because I want a character that is like a caster... That has all of their prepared uh, offensive spells just like already cast, and they are just kind of constantly juggling like small fireballs until they're ready just to chuck them at the enemy. Again, I know this is not how five E works. This isn't how any fight or uh, tabletop game works. You know what? Honestly, if I, if someone wanted to do that. I mean, realistically, they just have to be maintaining concentration and a performance check every turn that they were doing that. Otherwise, their spells would go off, and that's not great. What happens when you drop? What happens character... when you drop like a bowling pin? You're juggling. I mean, maybe broken toe. What happens when you're juggling? When you drop the fireball, you're juggling. TPK. I know. I love it. This character would not last the day. Um, you know what? Of all things, if they ever did a, um, Elder Scrolls version of the, of 5e, which, uh, I don't know, but uh, I'm, I know people definitely created rules for that. Um, wh- what is it called? The Atronach? Oh, the Atronax. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, a character who had something like that, that would be fine for, just because they just absorb the magicka. But now I'm tempted to see how I can make this character actually work. Because the thing is, Miles, when you said this character concept to me at the beginning, immediately I go to Monk. And I just wanted to not do a Monk for it. I was thinking that too. I think like the... Hmm. Here's the trick. The way I'm seeing this, the spells or whatever it is cannot be from... Whatever he's... Whatever this character is able to do has to be... From the continuation of the juggling, not from like throwing the what is being juggled or anything. Mm-hmm. Like any any person that has like uh, items that are being juggled or thrown or anything can, uh, you know, just anyone can juggle with any small items that that are their weapons. But like thinking about it, like the act. How does the act of juggling? keep something like in play that makes it I'm, I'm totally lost I'm totally mm. lost on this 
Okay. I think... I, I think what we'd have to do is that this caster would have to be, like, a quick caster of some sort. Uh, maybe they would have something where, because of all of the immense risks they're taking, they can actually cast spells as, like, a bonus action or something. Uh... This class would not be balanced at all. I don't think it would even be balanced in a way that's positive for it. There's too many negatives if you're holding fireballs. Um. Huh. This is this is really so, interesting because this isn't the direction I expected this character concept to go. Um, I'm curious, what direction did you expect it to I'm go? I'm really stuck on this, to be my, honest. My initial way of thinking about this character... My, my thought process immediately went to someone's juggling shields, and they create essentially their own shield wall by continuing to juggle shields. And, like, they okay, can use well, that for the protection shields, thing. they wouldn't be juggling it. They would be doing, like, plate spinning. No, 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 no. You, you grab them and you, and you juggle them with, like, the faces out. I don't know. I also, again... This is me giving y'all a prompt. That was just me giving like reference for where my where my mind went, which isn't the core conceit of "Give Me a Guy." <laughs> All right, next guy, next guy. All right, give me a warforged that is made out of used chewing gum. That's it. I apologize. Oh, interesting. So he... So that's the, like the glue that's holding him together. There's like, this is a person who is a Warforge constructed with no screws or bolts or nails. Is simply a... Uh... Okay. Disadvantage on, sa on dexterity saving throws... Uh, and resistance to piercing and slashing damage, um, mm -hmm. but weakness oh, to is, weakness to bludgeoning damage if they have taken cold damage in the last turn. Yes, I was gonna say something about cold damage, but here's the trick: this is not. This is a creature pretending that it is a warforged. It is a slime that has got <laughs> enough pieces of a dead warforged in it that it like has created a weird little like ventriloquist dummy out of itself but i've slimes? never like if this i've is never Dungeons heard Dragons, i've never heard of like... a creature crawling inside armor to pretend to be something it isn't i know i know it's totally novel to you miles but hypothetically <laughs> this is a i don't know some sort of uh hermit crab that's inhabiting like the shell casings of a warforged man. Does that make sense? Am mm. I making any sense at all? No, I, I, mean, I, me I get you. Nothing I got you. Um, I, I do got you, but nothing makes sense. Oh, ever. Freaking tell me about it. Any weapon they have uh, has an extra five foot of reach. They have an extra oh, yes. five foot of reach on their melee weapons. Yeah, they got Gumby action. Mm-hmm. His uh, name is Gumby, but it's like gum hyphen the letter B. Uh, since I know people are no, talking his name more is about his name is Bubba. Ah, <laughs> but they and he's got a bazooka is his weapon. Uh. He's an artif he's an artillerist ar artificer. Yes, named Bazooka Joe. 
codename Baba. Yeah, and he's he's that's... got a familiar that's a that's a fucking duck with a mohawk. <laughs> so many people are not gonna know or the frickin, what you're or talking the, about. The, or the zebra. Oh well, that's Ooh. you know. And uh. Yeah, but the zebra <laughs> the zebra's only gonna last for the first like round of combat. It it will. The zebra it, has to be like a spell. And when he kills someone, he's got this, uh, his catch for his cool catchphrase when he kills somebody is like, the taste is gonna move ya. Ooh, the zebra is what visually manifests when he casts color spray. Yeah. Because it only, because it only lasts like a moment, but. <laughs> it's but, vibrant for a split second. Yeah, but it does certainly leave an impression that lasts for fucking 20 years <laughs> for us, I guess. Yeah. Oh gosh, I still sometimes when I see that gum am tempted to pick it up. I never oh. see it around. Apparently it's in some of the uh some of the like some of the specialty grocery stores around here, but I haven't seen it yet and next time I do, I'm I'm going to pick it up cuz I I love me some fruit stripe. Oh, hey hun, do you have any guys? Hmm. Don't strain yourself. How would the Michelin Man exist in Dungeons and Dragons? Hmm. Like, I mean, at all. I mean, that's just, that's all I got right now. Okay, so I, I don't want to go with another Warforged. Yeah, right, because um, that's where my mind went to. Um, okay, he's a Goliath. Okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> he's a Goliath. And that, uh, that... That cold resistance is uh, conceptualized because the this Michelin man is made out of snow tires. Now, do you think he is actually, based on, like, the company, would actually be a mastermind rogue? Only just because of the insane... It's not a monopoly, but... Sorry, Jay put on a video on his phone and it distracted me no don't get distracted um uh because wh what is that michelin book again uh, the or the the rating yeah the, the michelin stars yeah michelin stars yeah. are initially based off of yeah they would do a sort of like travel guide book and if you are a michelin starred restaurant you were like listed in there and you were more likely to get traffic because you know, oh, this this travel guide to this, you know, city or region said, oh, you should absolutely go to this restaurant. We give it a we give it one to three stars. You know what? I, I changed my mind. It's not a mastermind. It's a lawful evil paladin. Because everything they do is legal. But holy cannoli. Is it evil? I feel like I gave I feel like I gave us a real sinker. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I admit, I'm sorry. <sighs> okay, alright. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Yeah, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. It's got the... It it's got the... You know, they've got the cook feet. Listen, we can't always be winners. We have to accept that most of the time we're always going to be losers. Some of these, some of these guys go in the worst, Jerry, and that's okay. 
That is absolutely true. Okay. So, Miles, uh, before we get to the one I know we were all in this week, you play any of your games? Nope. Oh, wait, yes. Yes, I did. Uh, I was in my Clone Wars D&D game. Well, it's not D&D. Somehow I thought you were. Yeah. Maybe you mentioned it. Yeah, um, it... It's it's pretty fun. We've only had a couple of sessions because it's a it's a bi-weekly game and shit has been coming up for multiple of us most times. Like it's been well over a month since we had played last. Um but it was really fun. We found out, you know, the identity of the traitor among the clones uh and also then learned how they found out about it in the show, which was fucking stupid and we would have never arrived at that conclusion or that uh <laughs> turn of events because it was literally just based off of us doing something dumb and then also the person the person who was the traitor slipping up and having one of those like oh i wish you hadn't have noticed that moments in in the span of like five seconds of conversation <laughs> Like, saying something and then immediately, well, what do you mean by that? Oh, I really wish you hadn't noticed that. <laughs> what? Okay, alright. Um, but, yeah, we, we had an interesting time, um, and I got to have a really good conversation. I played Obi-Wan in that game, and I got to have a really good conversation and character interaction with the person playing Anakin, um, actually talking about, like, okay, well, yeah, you know, you do have a choice whether you want to stay, if you want to leave the Jedi Order, you're allowed to, no one's forcing you to be here, do you want to have a choice in this, what do you want out of things, uh, and I, I improvised a convoluted metaphor and actually brought it together in the end somehow, uh, which was weird, but also felt very in character. Uh, and it was just, it was one of those wonderful, magical uh, tabletop RPG moments where, you know, you find your way into a conversation and a character interaction that you're still thinking about hours later and like still playing out in your head. And it's, it's just really cool. I'm having a lot of fun with that game and, I'm excited for where we're going next because, you know, Ahsoka's being introduced and Ahsoka is one of my favorite Star Wars characters. And the person playing her has very little knowledge of Ahsoka going into it. So it's going to be great. <laughs> this is going to be a very different Ahsoka. We have a we have a very different Ahsoka coming. We definitely already have a very different Anakin. Um but in an interesting and feels character appropriate way. And I, I feel like we've got a little bit of a different Obi-Wan too, in that, you know, I'm actually communicating with Anakin. I'm talking to him like a person I've known for over a decade and value. <laughs> Not a, uh, like big brothers program guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking to him like a person I have built a healthy attachment to. And, you know, someone who had considered for a moment, or been given the option of leaving the Jedi Order, and had a, you know, 
unapproved romance at one point while I was coming up. Uh, but we haven't we haven't had the uh, we haven't had that conversation yet. I haven't talked to him about Padme. Now, can I ask a quick question about Ahsoka? Mm-hmm. She is a blue space lesbian tentacle woman who's not a blue lesbian space space tentacle woman. She doesn't have tentacles. It's just too big hair. Well, yeah. She's okay. also not blue. Okay. She's orange. Um. I know. I'm very confused by her existence. Yes, she is. Why is she not blue? Uh, and why is she not... Well, actually, I don't know. Is she a lesbian? Uh, she's bi. Uh, oh, okay. It's Never not mind, explicitly then. stated in canon, uh, except for there is there is a book. There's an Ahsoka, like, titled Ahsoka book. Um... And it's been a bit since I read it, but I felt like the, uh, the, oh, the, the subtext was pretty plain. Uh, it may have been super text, uh, that, you know, she was definitively interested in one of the female characters. Again, could be wrong on that, but I'm, I believe the general consensus is that Ahsoka is by most likely um but she's also you know a child for most of the series so you know oh that, is she yeah she's oh. she's like early yeah, teens creep. she's like early teens for most of the series oh well at that point she has a sexuality yes we don't need to think about what she's doing but exactly like early but also teens, i knew i liked men Yes, she's early teens. She's also part of a deeply repressive organization. Uh, so it's it's okay, a weird so time. Now we're just she has now we're just talking about my best friend who went to Catholic school and also knew they were bisexual from the time they were like five. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, this is a weird. I just wanted to make a joke because I love talking about blue space lesbians. She's a she's a great character. And she has a really satisfying and interesting arc. She does not start start off good. Don't watch the Clone Wars movie. It's not good, and neither is she in it. She's obnoxious in it. I will say again, oh, she's she's one of my favorite Star Wars characters overall in the entire franchise. She doesn't start off good. <laughs> Well, my favorite Star Wars character is Jay uh, started his first experience beginning to GM a little bit this weekend. And actually, it's been on the feed for uh, shooting the sheet. But Jay was managing us uh, playing a bit of world creation and character creation with Unbound. Yeah, so Unbound is an interesting game. It's cards based. And um, what am I talking about here? It's cards based. You uh, draw cards and they mean certain things based on like a grid. And we just got going through it. Like first off, setting up what the world was going to be like. Yeah. So whenever <laughs> you begin a sorry, sorry, I'm like I'm struggling to think right now. <laughs> whenever you start a game in Unbound, if you want, of course. You kind of can, uh, each player, so we actually did this differently with us. Um, normally it is each player draws a card and that card represents a touchstone and a, a touchstone being like a key, a key phrase. Then you combine all of the touchstones together and create a 
story based off that. And by touchstones, we mean, like, there is certain words such as, like, I don't know, evil queen, robot suits, uh, drugs. Transhuman. Our, our, uh, so you draw a whole bunch of... Yeah, you draw a whole bunch of cards and you use that to sort of assemble your setting and your story. And then uh, moving on from there, you also use it to assemble your characters. Yeah, and our... So you sort of like draw these foundation words. Out of this chart, I have a whole bunch of different words. The set of words that we settled on, because we rolled like multiple sets of words. The words that we settled on was transhumanism... Heavy armor, virtual, and crime. Um, and so a lot of those fit together really well, such that we establish, like, these are... This is, like, a virtual reality, like, you know, within the metaverse, a uh, group of hackers that have mechs in cyberspace. Cyber mechs. Uh, a little bit of reboot, a little bit of Tron, um, and we are... We've established with... Let's see... So after you get, like, the genre sort of set up, which in this case is mechs in cyberspace, uh, then you go with a core. You you and the group choose one of the cores. You sort of talk about it, pick it uh, deliberately. And the core we're going with is Pact Bound, which means, like, you have sworn yourself to some sort of higher entity or obligation uh, that you must fulfill. That's your quest that you do. And Pact Bound, in this case, we decided was a... Uh, like a newly born, freely, like unlicensed AI that they have to take to like a legal safe zone on like, I don't know, some sort of foreign international waters server to keep it away from like the corporate AI like controls. Anyway. And so then the players pick um, one of. I think five or six uh, roles, which are just basic archetypes, like a ranged DPS, a melee DPS, a sort of like, you know, close-up physical semi-tank, like brawler, um, a sort of tanky protector, a healer, stuff like this. And you, along the way, you're like asking a bunch of questions of the players that are sort of like uh, creative world-building and creative writing prompts. To, like, get them to think and flesh out uh, what this world is going to be like, what the character is going to be like. We uh, didn't get very far through it. We still have, actually, a lot to go that will really flesh out uh, a lot of the personality and character of everybody's player characters and the universe. And may even, like, come to further define what we're actually going to be doing with this campaign. So this is what's really interesting about it. It is almost like a collaborative creative world building party game at this stage of it before you even get into any role playing um so we are as a group you know going to be crafting like an entire sort of story around this it's interesting because it, it's and the creators have even said that they are trying to offload a lot of the aspects of gming that take up a long time like i know for me i love world building but at the same time, I'm playing through this, and if we like the gameplay, this would definitely be fun if I just need something to play for, like, a month or so. I can see this having a lot of legs with us and our group of friends, especially because we are, you know, world-buildy 
type of dorks always thinking about like the little internal logics of a fictitious system frankly um i actually think maybe if we're uh, ever wanting to do something instead of give me a guy just pull some of those touchstones out and build a little world that sounds actually fun to me yeah it's yeah really i'm actually easy to improv a bunch of uh quick stuff together i'm wicked down on that uh, honestly, might do that next week. And uh, we're going to, of course, have a... Once we finish the, like, entire thing, we're going to be playing... Or we're going to have an entire episode dedicated to talking about it. Uh, as my first experience uh, doing it as a DM, GM, um, I am... Especially because we were on a two-hour time frame to play this game, I was really... Uh, focused and kind of rigid with the direction all of our conversations were going. Um, I had to keep us on track to really like build it and like get as much done as we possibly could. And uh, I don't know how the, that's going to reflect on me as a person, as a GM, like where I'm going to go in the future uh, doing this stuff. I'm doing it under specific circumstances. It is not a you have your friends over on a Saturday night, like, let's play the game together. It's uh, quite a different context in which I'm trying to GM. But mm -hmm. uh, it's going all right so far. Yeah. I mean, and also our group needs a bit of reining in constantly. Because, um, you know, now I think about it, there was one last thing that I did do. I forgot. Uh, Saturday, the day before that, we, I, my... In person game, we got together and we started the preliminary character building. And it. I love my dear, sweet friends. They're amazing. Getting them to do anything is. It, it is just hurting cats. It is hurting cats that are also pissed off at you for existing. Um, they've not had their temperament shots. And boy, we love and boy, we is. love these cats. And they are, because <laughs> I, I was just like, we were using the cipher system for this uh, game this time, and I actually asked uh, the GM because he had to leave early. And I was like, if you want me to, I can just try to get us through the very beginnings of character creation if you trust me. And he's like, actually, that would be a big help. So yay me, I'm trusted. Um. And because Cypher System's fun with the... If you want to boil it down to its simplest parts, what you're creating is a sentence for your character with that. So I was helping each person figuring out, like, their uh, descriptor, their type, and then their focus. So, for instance, we had a player who ended up being uh, an artificially intelligent glaive who um, I think it was fights with panache and that was just someone they basically made themselves a bounty hunter that whenever they shoot people everyone is really impressed and basically just does better and it was fun but oh boy I don't know um, it I can't wait to actually talk about this game though because if there's one thing I can say about the this GM he creates some very intricate worlds and it's going to be interesting to see going forward. Uh, but is it time for us to begin an RPG horror story, boys? I believe yes. so. All right. 
I should have uh, actually had the story up on my phone when I said that. Do 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 do. This is an amazing song. Uh, but for the first time ever, we might hear Miles Reed because this is a bit of a longer story. Yeah, it's it's exciting. I've never read before. <laughs> You're gonna have to learn how to read really quick. Uh, posted on r slash RPG Horror Stories by user the Falconer, DM's manipulative girlfriend. Boy, I do not even know where to begin. So I was kicked out from a homebrew campaign run by one of my longtime friends recently. The campaign was a train wreck on many levels. Entire sessions spent in a tavern with nothing really happening. Party constantly splitting up, which I actually voted f in favor of initially as we, as a way to get away from the DM's girlfriend character. Uninteresting and convoluted plot with literally no bad guy, horrifically slow pacing, horrific PC synergy, DM refusing to accept any kind of criticism, etc. But by far the biggest problem was the DM's girlfriend and the blatant DM favoritism for her. Introducing the cast, the warrior played by me, the artificer played by the DM's girlfriend, the bard played by another player. Rogue, the DM's character, which he supposedly added as a sidekick to the bard because the bard had a very bare-bones backstory. And the monk. The monk is not mentioned much because he mostly kept to himself and sometimes desperately tried to hurry the artificer along. She was supposed to play a lawful neutral artificer, a scholar by her own description, who does not fight if she can avoid it. Now that in and of itself is not wrong. However, the problem started when she basically started playing Lawful Stupid and her character began imposing her view of morality on other characters in the group, even going so far as to attempting to take away the warrior's weapon. Incident 1 This happened on the second session. The artificer was wearing a piece of jewelry, an heirloom from her people. She got hit in the head during a battle and the piece of jewelry was broken. My warrior found it, picked it up, and in what I thought was a nice gesture, brought it to a local jeweler to have it repaired. Turns out, however, that the jeweler is a bit of a crook, part of his character, or so the DM said, and tried to charge the warrior, my warrior, 2,000 gold coins for the repairs, a ludicrous price for relatively simple repair work. We obviously did not have that much gold already on the second session, so I rolled to intimidate the jeweler for a fair price. The roll succeeds and the jeweler agrees to repair the heirloom for 20 gold which my character pays and gives the heirloom to the artificer. Instead of thanking him, the artificer takes the heirloom, hits my warrior over the head, the DM does nothing, this will be important later, and then apologizes to the bejeweler, the bejeweler, on his behalf, without my character's consent. Popcorn. All right, incident, incident two. two. Incident two. We capture a lone enemy after a battle. My warrior decides that he is going to torture the prisoner for information because it was important for the quest that the party was currently on, and the artificer failed her persuasion check. The artificer starts freaking out, screaming that she will not allow it. Then she attempts to take away my warrior's weapon. The warrior player, I am obviously annoyed now. Oh, my warrior my warrior player, okay, uh, I am obviously annoyed now, attempts to hit her to get her off him, reasoning that no warrior worth anything would ever allow somebody to take his weapon away willingly, to which the DM freaks out, stops me, and says that there will be no PvP of any kind, despite the artificer hitting other PCs on more than one occasion before. The session ends and the group meets to discuss the incident, or so we thought. 
In reality, the DM just gathered us to inform us that his girlfriend is not okay with PCs interrogating NPCs, and that from now on, everybody is going to get one veto power every session, which they can use to stop another player's action. Outside of the story, I think... This is not written there. I think that one, one veto per session is not terrible. That's basically just a more powerful X card. Um, myself and one other player strongly disagree with this idea because it essentially gives players absolute power over other players. And I threaten to leave if this is implemented. So the DM relents after about two hours of arguing. Jesus. Uh, edit. I realize that some people are not okay with torture, and I should have asked out of character if it was okay. This was my mistake. Uh, in the meantime, the Artificer insults my warrior and the bard and belittles our characters with increasing frequency pretty much every session. Even explaining to NPCs how my warrior is a dumb muscle head and the bard is crazy. While at the same time constantly complimenting and being uncharacteristically friendly with the other two party members, the monk and the rogue. When the players call her out on it, her response is that her character is just is doing it jokingly, and if they cannot handle it, that's their problem. Uh, she has she had an annoying tendency to go on her own little adventures, where she would chat with the NPCs for half an hour about something trivial and unrelated to the main story, sidetrack the party chasing after some trinket, or go off experimenting with something. Once her experiment succeeded, a once her experiment summoned a demon, which resulted in a boss fight that nearly wiped the party. The DM admitted later that he had to fudge the rolls because the demon would have otherwise murdered us in a few turns. A few sessions later, she almost summoned another demon. The DM realized what was about to happen and made his rogue run off after her to and stop her. Because of her constant spotlight hogging, the bard and myself voted for the DM to allow us to split the party so our characters could go off and do something else while she was on her own little adventures, and also to get away from her character as much as possible. Looking back, we should have realized that this was a bad idea. It certainly did nothing at all to stop her spotlight hogging, but it slowed the campaign to a literal crawl, because the DM now had to manage, or at least tried to, two parties at once. The party could never agree on what we should do next, mainly because the Artificer never wanted to do anything that sounded remotely dangerous, despite herself summoning a giant demon nearly twice with her experiments, reasoning that her character is a scholar and not a fighter, and also because we were dragging a giant luxury carriage along with us that the Artificer rode in like a princess, and where she kept her massive amounts of luggage. This rubbed most of the party the wrong way, but the DM would not even hear about any idea to ditch the carriage. She also refused to sleep outside because it was uncomfortable. This all resulted in a lot of time being wasted arguing on what we should do next, what we should do with the carriage, and looking for inns and taverns to sleep in. Uh, popcorn over for Incident 3. Incident 3. A rather liked NPC is arrested on mostly fake charges. He is the city uh, he is the city guard captain with a bit of ends justify the means outlook. Nothing serious, but he does skirt the law a little bit to make sure the serious criminals are brought to justice. A court session starts, and the DM hints that the fate of the captain will pretty much depend on the testimony of the party. Three out of the five players agree that we will try to get there the captain cleared. While the DM's girlfriend exclaims out of character that her character is not going to lie in court, no matter what happens. 
I am at this point quite done with her antics and yell at her to please stop playing lawful stupid. The DM right away jumps up to her defense, saying that she can play her character any way she wants. She's not lawful stupid. She's lawful sexy. Um, I should probably also mention that her non-violent lawful neutral scholar could also get very violent when she was angry, which was more than half the time. Her lawful non-violent scholar once crushed a wounded NPC's head while he was just lying on the ground. Incident 4 As I mentioned before, the party travels with a luxury carriage, specifically for the artificer, because she is not a fighter and she certainly has a lot of luggage. The party attempted to ditch the carriage on numerous occasions, but the DM would not allow it. Intended to explode at the mere suggestion, my warrior drives the carriage because he has the highest score, but unfortunately I rolled a natural one. The wheel of the carriage gets broken, and the artificer now has to repair it. All the while being increasingly angry and seeing insults at my warrior and the bard. Despite the fact that we are dragging the carriage with us only for her in the first place. After the wheel is fixed, the artificer sits next to the rogue. Yes, the DM had his own character following the party around, another red flag that I should not have ignored, and attempts to hire the rogue to assassinate the warrior and the bard. The DM has also been bullying the bard in character with his rogue for quite some time now, because the DM does not like that the rogue does not have a deep background story. So the rogue responds that she could kill the bard, but that the warrior is too powerful. DM and his girlfriend discussing which PC they should kill in character, how charming. Uh, popcorn. Golly. And the final incident. The bard and my warrior got drunk and had a fish. Yes, a f had a yes, a fight with fishes. It's not a typo. Had a fish fight in the local market. Nothing serious, but the guards are now probably looking for them. My warrior got into the carriage to hide and sober up. The bard disguised himself. But my warrior obviously did not have that option. The artificer barges in and kicks him out, saying that she needs something from the carriage. My warrior tells her to leave him alone, that he just wants to get sober in peace. To which she responds that he can get sober in the gutter like all the normal drunks. Knowing that she will not relent and that the DM will not stop her, I make my character leave to go to the gutter. His character then proceeds to... Her character then proceeds to the local library, where she hijacks half of the session trying to convince the librarian, who is also the mayor... To give her some book that is related to the rogue's backstory for literally two hours while failing multiple persuasion checks. So two of our players, the bard and myself, are essentially left doing nothing while the DM and his girlfriend are playing with each other. And, and one other player following them in a desperate attempt to speed things along. He told us so later. The DM switched to my character for one brief moment and made two hobos try to steal my warrior's armor while he was lying in the gutter drunk. I rolled a six for intimidation, and the hobos flee. Nothing else happens, and we are back. And we are back to the artificer chasing the damn book. At this point, I was done. I lose my shit, made my character enter the library, and basically held the librarian in an arm lock until he coughed up the book. My warrior then throws the book at the artificer and says, "There's your stupid book. Can we go now?" The DM now explodes. His rogue jumps on the table and threatens to kill my character, where the DM yells at me out of character for ruining their roleplay. The session devolves into an argument and ends. 
This was the last session I played with them. After that, we had a four hour long discussion which started with the DM listing the positive and negative traits of his players. When it came to his girlfriend, he had nothing but praise. The only negative trait he listened to, he listed was that she gets overly excited and enthusiastic sometimes. The rest of the discussion was spent with basically me desperately trying to make him see that his girlfriend is in fact the sole cause of 90% of the problems in this campaign to no avail. I suggested that we all rework our characters and make them work better as a team, reword the campaign, and at least add a villain to give the party focus. I even suggested that we could take turns DMing, which his girlfriend right away rejected. The DM simply kept shifting the blame on me, accusing me of being a problem player and that I refused to compromise and then asked me to leave the table, which I gladly did as I was not planning on continuing this dumpster fire of a campaign anyway. And that is the end, posted by user the Falconer with a zero instead of an O, on our slash RPG horror stories. Oh boy, oh boy! Fucking the rogue would be like, "How dare you assault this librarian?" Mm-hmm. We were so, we were so close to getting that book legitimately. Uh... I don't oh, even sucks. know where to start with this one. That yeah, sucks. it. Yeah, that's just that's that's rough. That's rough, buddy. Um also, I mean <laughs> I am I am I am going to do the thing we always do with RPG horror stories and say that chances are pretty good this person was slightly more of an ass than they are claiming to be. Uh but also yeah, this this is one of those unfortunate things that uh, can frequently happen uh, whenever a new player is introduced to an established group. Um, I I feel like it is disproportionately portrayed as like, oh, this is what happens when the DM brings his girlfriend. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true, but that this this is one of those struggles that can happen whenever there is a new player introduced to a group, um, and, you know, it just doesn't quite fit. I mean, realistically, some parts of this campaign seemed fine to me. Like I said, the, the once-per-session veto power, I don't know if, like... Yeah, I know, I agree with that one. Well, yeah, like... I, 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 think it's, I think it's reasonable. I think it, you know, relies on you to trust your players a lot. So that someone, but, but again, like, why wouldn't you trust your players with this? You're giving them this power, presumably, so that if, you know, someone's doing something that makes another player uncomfortable, that it will stop. And not just introducing it as a, like, monolithic way of having your partner veto what other people are doing that they don't agree with. Um, it's definitely, to be definitely f- wasn't that, but. Yeah, to be fair, like, I, I feel like maybe if you wanted to say it shouldn't be a specifically a veto, but like, well, okay, a veto is still good because I believe in, you know, safety tools. Mm-hmm. But I, I also think that at the very least, a discussion, um, it does sound like from what we are shown. Again, I have to agree with you that this story does somewhat smell of 
uh, what's it, um, are only being shown one side of the story. Some of the stories, it's, I can't believe anything but what the OP's writing. Mm-hmm. This one, and I'm not even saying, oh, well, this is obviously OP's fault. I'm saying with this one, it, it seems like this was a bad matchup for everyone involved. Yeah. And, you know, that that can absolutely happen with groups, and not just with, like, players, but with characters as well. And, you know, OP did suggest, hey, why don't we rework the campaign or rework the characters so that they can work together better? And you know what? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes that is something that you have to do, or it at least makes sense to do. And that's a good thing. You should do that if you think it will benefit the cohesiveness of the group. Cohesiveness. Cohesion, I guess, technically, of the group. Um, but, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh gosh. I like. There's just a lot in this story that we could, honestly, I feel like we could dissect almost all of these events. Um, yeah. And, you know... GM favoritism is something that can happen, and it's something that, you know, you need to be on the lookout for as a GM. Um, I, I feel like we'll talk more about this at another point with, like, we're, we're talking about and developing the ideas for a table etiquette episode. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, a piece of advice I'll reiterate there is a way to help rationalize and help, you know, keep yourself looking out for DM favoritism is just taking notes and specifically take notes about who is speaking up more often and whose plan the group is following. Like collect a body of evidence. Have receipts. <laughs> and you know, oh, if if you know if you look at your notes and you realize, oh huh I haven't really heard much from this player lately. Either talk to them one-on-one or, you know, in the session next time, take a moment to ask that player, like, hey, what do you think we should do? Just... Yeah. Okay, should we, uh... Take a little bit of that onus onto yourself to make sure everybody gets a voice. But yeah, oh, man, that's just... That is a rough, shitty situation... And the taking it turns, really G- the taking turns GMing thing, does strike me as a red flag, um, or would strike me as a red flag if the GM wasn't literally playing a character for a seemingly express purpose of, you know, rounding out a character's backstory that he didn't that that he wasn't satisfied with. Like, if the GM is playing a character, then the excuse for, you know, taking turns GMing or having a co-GMing style kind of diminishes a bit. You can, you can do that. It becomes a more viable idea. But also, co-GMing is a hard needle to thread. Especially co-GMing with people who are also playing characters in it. I I've heard that I've never actually got much experience with it, so 
Honestly, it's something maybe we should try for Funshot at some point, since Funshot's all about new experiences, experimenting. It's just like college. Yeah. Um, only difference is, is that this time it's all legal. The best Koji... I have had two significant experiences with Kojiyaming, and the best Kojiyaming advice I have is communicate and have defined roles. Like... One of the times, one of us was the world building and, like, overall plot management, and the other one was the in-the-moment rules calls and, like, improv guiding person, and that worked out fine. And in the other one, we were both leading separate groups that were part of the same campaign, and we would compare notes after and before each session to, like, make sure our campaigns linked together nicer. And then both ran the final session of this little bit of one-shot. It was fun. It was nice. But like, oh yeah, wow, imagine that. My advice is communicate effectively and openly with other people. How novel. Yeah. How? Unex unexpected. So, should we uh, begin to delve into our topic this week? Yeah, let's do it. Speaking of communicating openly and honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the obvious one is you really need to. So, yeah, you are in a situation where everyone in the party is just like, why are we here? Why are we adventuring together? None of us like each other. None of us want to go on the same quest. And, I mean, we saw a little bit, um, I didn't find a story specifically for this reason, but we saw it a little bit with the Lawful Stupid and the, uh, Torture Porn. That is exactly how I'm viewing this now. Mm -hmm. Um, where sometimes characters' morals and goals are just not going to align. Mm -hmm. And ideally, you're going to catch this before it like players are actively saying this out loud um in so far as it becoming a problem but as miles said most important thing his open communication episode's done okay <laughs> uh, i think we can yeah um, use as as woolly madden puts it use uh, the power of talk no jutsu <laughs> It's but, and and you know if you find that your party or you find that you as a player are in that situation, yes, talking, but more specifically, to give some sort of guidance to that conversation, talk about sort of how you can adjust the world or your characters to make you more invested. Like, uh, I know from personal experience with our Frost Maiden game. We had a player who, you know, kind of reached a bit of a pausing point in their character arc and wasn't quite feeling in sync with the rest of the party. And, you know, I offered some choices. I offered some, like, avenues of, hey, these are some points that, you know, still need to be wrapped up and being with the party can help you wrap up these bits, bits of your, you know, character's history or their arc. And, you know, there's there's things here that you can still do, and there's, you know, reasons to be involved with some of these characters. 
but ultimately he chose to change characters. So we worked and we made a new character that, you know, could still fit with the rest of the party and had a backstory that was linked to your quest that you were doing. And, and then, you know, he moved on and he made a new character and now he's just going to pick back up with us when we start the new one. Um, now he's gone forever. Now, and, um, and, and in and part honestly, that's because it's, it's hard to introduce a new character. If you are feeling like your, like your specific character is not fitting well with the group, it is so much easier to adjust your character or the, or like address the dynamic that's making you feel like your character doesn't work than it is to introduce a new character to an established group because that person will automatically be sort of the odd one out when it comes to roleplay because they are they are a new person they do not have any sort of relationship with these characters generally speaking they don't they don't have that familiarity or that comfort built into the roleplay so it's going to be a struggle and it's just gonna sort of further that divide i think yeah um, no and honestly i feel like we could talk a lot about introducing characters eventually anyways because that is its own but like introducing characters late to campaigns because that is its own kind of big subject to begin with yeah uh because it is hard and you know also in the frost maiden game there was the character i um, played for a session um, and to be fair the reasons I didn't try harder to make her fit were partially just because I didn't realize how much I really wanted to continue with the storyline so uh, I took a break from my first character to play the second character but that only literally lasted a session because of reasons yeah and because because the party executed a... someone uh <laughs> Yeah, I... well, we should put a pin in this because, like, when you have a like critical moral injunction between characters, that's like another reason why, like, you have to confront. Wait, why are we adventuring together? Well, yeah, no, that's yeah. exactly my point. Is, uh, and it's also it's gonna be one thing if it's one character. Um, so just to, like to, so yeah, this character I made was a very sweet, uh, woman. I guess you could just say and she was kind of appalled by just wow i just kind of made friends with a bunch of possibly murder hobos because she knew these people for about a day and they just murdered someone mm -hmm. a, a, a bad person quote unquote but you know just kind of right in front of her um and not really very justified like it was me. It was my character. And did it sort of like... Because he was in a bad place. He was in a bad mood. I mean... Um, I, I will say so, there's, there's a certain that, degree of justification for for how no, you went no, about it. see, we're normally not murder hobos. Yeah. I'm going through some stuff. Okay. But, um... Yeah, and so... That character... This is, she actually could work as a good example... Uh, because she is one character who is now at moral odds. Because the fact of the matter is, you were 
your character did that, but we also had another character who also, like, was a supreme assassin. Oh, right, because that was the episode where we found out that that character was also a trained assassin, I think. Uh, um, so we didn't necessarily find out that she was a trained assassin. The the thing that your character found out was that she had disposed of bodies before. Okay. Which, like, led to some assassin-based conclusions. Um, but, but she hadn't okay. done her big assassination yet. <laughs> oh gosh, I know, and... Uh, it's... So that's a character that you would have to honestly talk to the player more about to get them to stay. Or you would have to... The fact of the matter is, is that this is a cooperative game, so the GM can try to do things. The GM can try to question people's morals, or, or like, not question people's morals, but like put their morals, would it be fair to say on trial? But like, I guess it is testing them. Interrogate them. Um, uh, you can always try to find common ground, like to make the characters <laughs> common ground. I committed a murder. Um, and I think it's bad. I guess we'll have to agree to disagree. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I swear, this is not our centrism episode. Um, uh, there's definitely going to be characters that you just... Uh, well, hold don't. on. I think there's a I think there's a worthy discussion made to... Uh, uh, worth making about whether or not this is our centrism episode. I think we can... I think it can both... We'll keep deliberating it the discourse oh all right oh god sorry i'm just i'm trying to pick my words carefully not for fear of like offending anyone but because it's i, I i'm just trying to make a coherent point and i'm just failing at for this. fear of being immoderate um i i think that you need to work with your players so with that character i would have had to work with miles to try to find a reason as to why she should stay. I need to work with making it at least ma make sense long enough for me to understand why the characters are the way they are. And if that I want to stay with them after that, that's all the better. Um, I, I feel like I'm flubbing a lot right now, and I just don't know... Uh, what I'm trying to say, like I, I have the thoughts in my head. It it just it required more work than it was worth to keep her around. Yeah, and that's with one character. What I will say is, when your entire party is like that, that's when it falls probably more on the GM a little bit than the players. But again, the players are always involved in this, and I'd be open with my players if. I was having this issue. Um. Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, our Frostmaiden game has this issue in that you you all don't have, like, strong character reasons to be doing the main, the, like, quote-unquote main plot of the campaign. So I'm not making you do the main plot. It's true. We, we, uh, we, we Unt until recently, we're just like, all right, we got to get back to the, uh, we got to get back to work on this. And I had to contrive like, 
for myself, like, I have, my character has to care about <laughs> stopping the Frost Maiden now. I know, it's been uh, pretty funny, just like, I, we would, I, I don't know if we'd say found family exactly, because this is just found dysfunction at the very least, found coping mechanisms. That, that's what our group is right now. Um, because our characters, I think, all care about each other. I guess it's found family. Your found family in the, in the <laughs> your found family in the way that like your your freshman uh your your college freshman roommates about like uh, about halfway through your freshman year. Where you're like, you know, I know a lot about these people, and I've gone through some things with them, but also, are they a positive influence on my life? I think. Listen, listen. Azrael has always been an alcohol. Honestly, if you go back to the beginning of the campaign, Azrael did not drink nearly as much until about halfway through. So I'm willing to say that their uh, tendencies have kicked back up again. Um, but, and I think you've had some challenging moments of just trying to make sure that we all were staying on a sort of goal. And there have been points where I know we've just been like, we don't even know what to do. Everyone has kind of their own little missions, but... And how have you managed to handle that, Miles? Like, whenever it seems like all the characters are just not able to function together. So, generally speaking, I introduce a reason for you to care about something to do. Like, I give you someone to protect, or I give you some, like, additional trail of breadcrumbs. Or if there's connections that already exist like that that you're not seeing... I have your characters roll intelligence to see if you can put together this little, like, reminder of, hey, you know those that problem you're having here, here, and here? Well, it's all connected to this other bigger problem. So go and check that out, maybe. And, and like, that, that works relatively well to start addressing things in a broader sense. Um, but also, I mean, realistically, yeah, just introducing reasons for you to care. Um... And a bit of that work is done by front-loading world-building and front-loading this idea of, okay, these are the characters' backstories. These are, these are narrative beats I would like to hit with these characters, and these are places where I think those beats could be in introduced and slotted into this campaign. And I just, in part, give you a, give you a nudge in the direction of one of those beats so that then you're having something that you are engaged with and finding reasons to interconnect those beats too, especially. Um, there's one very large story beat that still has yet to be resolved and is likely going to be our post-game content um, that connects two of you very strongly um, and is like resolution for two of the characters. Um, and, you know, there's bits here and there that tie other characters together, but, you know, sometimes moments pass. Uh, Wait, what's the thing that connects us together? Uh, 
So you know that alien spaceship? Trauma. Okay, I didn't want to, I was thinking it was that, but I was like, okay. Would it be rude of me to think that that's what you're talking about? There, there, there are aspects of that horde that are not the spaceship that tie to other characters. Um, but also, you know, that's going to be our, that's going to be our epilogue, I'm sure, if it even happens. (laughs) Um, but it's just, it's one of those things. Um, you just, you have to be willing to change the campaign in order to be more engaging with your players. And Mm -hmm. realistically, you guys as players don't seem to want anything to do with the Frost Maiden. You want to continue engaging with this sort of personal emotional drama that we semi-accidentally created in this setting. And that's okay. That means we're telling an interesting character narrative. It doesn't have to be, you know, world-shattering or whatever. But it's impactful for the characters, and that's more than enough. I think that's gonna. I think that's the problem about a lot of. I don't want to say five E. Adventures, but I think what I need to do for myself and what I recommend is try to know as much about what the game is going to be about beforehand, so you can have your character be a bit more tied to the main objective. And the reason I say that is in this game. Our characters kind of took the Frost Maiden thing as a job, and none of us have really strong outward connections to it. Mm-hmm. And we never really got that strong connection. So. Yeah, and like, there were bits that I tried to do, like ingratiating you to different towns and like getting. trying to get you to care about the people in the region. But. You were way more invested in each other, and that's understandable because, you know, there's more interesting interactions between, you know, PCs than there between NPCs. Big shock. And so, I think what we're saying right now is that a lot of it can be handled by the GM creating reasons to play. But if you're intending on playing, or like reasons for the party to stick together. But I think we also just have to admit that the players really do have to be willing to also adjust their characters if they if they want to stick with that character. Because sometimes characters are just not going to fit. Or they're just not working. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be willing to make adjustments or heck, even outline where you want this character to go and say, listen, my character's going to be obstinate for a while, but my goal is that they aren't going to be that way forever. There's actually something I kind of liked in Fate or in um, Unbound that we haven't got to yet for our characters, and it's called Fates. And it's where you, uh, around the table, discuss a scene that you'd like for your character to experience. And I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a big, like, new way to approach these games for us. Not even in, like, a profound way, but just, like, you're, we're going to 
elaborate on the personality and the sort of ethos of each of our characters and then the fate is like what is a scene that you want to have and like where do you want that to lead you not necessarily that you know where that's going to lead you but just hypothetically like you want your character to become conflicted about x thing in their past maybe and you know i think that if we like unbound i'm gonna actually maybe try to play unbound with people i haven't played rpgs with a bit more because i feel like if you pay attention to how people are developing their scenes you might get a kind of a hint of what they like from their games and characters anyways and i bet you could play unbound with people that are not familiar at all with tabletop games and you run it with them sort of as like a party board game mm-hmm yeah, the, creating those narrative moments and, like, where you want your character to go is another thing you can also do as GM. Ask your players, hey, where do you want to see this character go? Instead of what I did a little bit, which was a little bit of that, but also having ideas for where I thought the character should go and, like, things I wanted to confront the character with later. Which isn't great and isn't always fair, but... At the very least, yeah. uh, this fate system, it's going to be excellent because if you have even the vaguest idea of where you want your character to go or like how you want them to grow or learn or whatever, the GM and the other players are going to know. So yeah. they'll be able to like, you know, start working at that. And like, mm -hmm. if we enjoy it, I might also try to introduce this at the beginning of a game and seek it. I, I'll keep it secret from other players um, if we want it to be. But just to be like, okay, this is like the first kind of scene you'd like to have, and this would be a, will be a good eventual kickstart to your character. Maybe not have a like make a fate scene with them right away, but when things are kind of dragging for their character, be like, okay, let's plan a scene together. I, I think I, I, we've mentioned before. I'm not someone who minds having the veil of GMing and the game being a game. I don't mind that being lifted. Um, maybe that's because I GM myself. Maybe that's just because I don't have a good suspension of disbelief. I just love telling stories with my friends. Um, yeah, you can. It's for sure really important to feel that you can uh, be explicit about the way these stories might go. Like, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not writing Lost, okay? You don't worry about the secrets or anything. It's it's more important that you communicate with your players about where everybody wants this game to go. Um, actually, because I'm thinking about it, there is a bit from our Frost Maiden game that was me trying to interpret where a character wanted to go. And at this point, you're not going to run into it in game. Jamie, do you mind? Do you think it's worthwhile picking your brain about this? Yeah, for this go. discussion. Um, so, at one point, I gave all of you visions. I gave all of you visions in this, like, magic mirror. And the vision was supposed to be this idea of finding what's lost or finding a way to, like, address some kind of internal need. And Jamie was playing as a doppelganger. And at that point, you had started to have some bits of frustration of... You know, feeling like 
a bit of a voyeur feeling like you didn't quite have a place. Uh, and, like, getting this frustration of, like, having all of these life experiences, but not having as much of a personal identity because you've taken on so many spots. At least that's what I was perceiving at the time. Um, and a little bit later, too. Um, yeah, and we definitely could have gone with that. I've just sort of been falling off of my uh, active role as a player and a storyteller. Um, but the vision that I gave your character to address some sort of internal need or whatever was a vision of a location where in the game itself, there's a location where there's um, this like magical artifact that can make illusions real. And my thought huh. process on giving you that was like, okay, you'll get to this place, you'll follow this vision to this place, and you'll realize, oh, this is a place that I can change my form to whatever I want, and that's that's me. That's me permanently now. That's my sense of self. And I wanted to use that to create this idea of, okay, do you want to change your body to give yourself a new sense of self, or is this going to promote this like in or create this internal reflection where you no longer where you feel like your ability to transform is an inherent part of who you are and develop a new sense of self uh from this experience but also i don't think that's going to end up happening now because you're you're ju you're just going to bypass this mission <laughs> yeah well you win some you lose some yeah. <laughs> I think, again, I, I, I want to do an episode in the future about how long we think our ideal games are. Because I think as we go on, we're going to realize... I, I think it's not that we're not good at long games, because we're definitely good at long games. But I think our ideal games seem like to be roughly in that a bit over six months category. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't um, I don't know that I can maintain a character like maintain for even myself a character arc that spans, you know, over 50 sessions. Like if we're looking at a year-long campaign, a campaign that runs for 50 plus sessions week to week, I don't I don't know how I can change and continue to develop a character in that time without it just eventually becoming a stagnant state. And that's a hard thing to do for my own character. That's a real hard thing to put on a GM to make sure there are opportunities for that to happen for all of the characters. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, and I feel like we have uh, switched subjects, but it's also possibly yeah. a more interesting subject. <laughs> but, I, again, I mean, we're going to have to... I've just been kind of waiting for us to finish Frostmaiden before we have this full conversation. Um, but we've been on a little bit of a half-month hiatus just because of existence and time. Mm -hmm. But I admittedly, I don't know if I have too much more to add. Uh, again, it's been kind of a shorter episode on the topic. Um, again, a lot of it is try to create... Uh, reasons why your players would want to stick together and try to find reasons why your character would want to join with them because 
honestly, with a bit of effort, you usually can. There are going to be reasons why they're just like, the people in your group are reprehensible to you. Um, that's exactly how I felt with the character of Trina. Even if you don't have the answer for it just yet, what if you uh, pose something cryptic about like, you know, just say to yourself, like, there's something I have to do alongside one of the other characters or like <laughs> along the course of this adventure or say like, you know, I have to just decide arbitrarily about another one of the player characters with talking to them as well. Like I have to protect this person and, and then maybe find the actual reason for it further down the line. And you know, that's a good point. You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier too, that uh, a lot of times in my experience, this will come up about after the first adventure, uh, especially in like a longer game, because during the beginning of the game, everyone usually has like one specific goal. They're like, okay, yeah, we're just teaming up for this. But then it's after your first, like you beat the first dungeon and everyone's like, okay, well, I mean, I could do this, but like, frankly, I don't know. I'm a nice person who doesn't like torture, but look at that. Jimmy over there keeps pulling the fingernails off of that guy we, uh, that pirate we took or that pirate we stopped. Make it a point to stop and like discipline the rogue, like get them to stop. Like, you know, we got some interpersonal conflict now. That's something. Again, um, I guess that's another thing is we didn't talk that dysfunction also is narrative sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should yeah, say like, like that, that campaign that the horror story was in, they, they had no unifying drive because it seemed like it was just, you know, hanging out around a collection of cities and, you know, having hijinks. I love Yeah, they didn't have any they that's that story is a great example of like when your group doesn't have like a focused goal, you're just you're just pissing about at the library. Yeah. Um you know what? That's that's something where um as as much as there are as many problems as there are with the Borderlands franchise um and you know 2K in general um and Gearbox, but one thing that I do have to applaud them for is they gave you a reason to give a shit about defeating the boss in Borderlands 2. They made you hate Handsome Jack <laughs> by making him present. By making a villain present, you make them irritating. You make you keep them in the players' minds. And yeah, that's... he was always in your fucking ear. They, like, wrote him effectively to be a insufferable, annoying, smug shit. And unfortunately, I wish they... Unfortunately, they also write their protagonists like that. Yeah. Um, but they did so effectively. And if if you're experiencing a, a struggle keeping your players interested in taking down the big bad, make the big bad do something. Yeah. Uh, that's something that, you know, I probably could have done more with the Frost Maiden. I introduced agents of the Frost Maiden, but I could have just had the Frost Maiden come in and fuck y'all up. Um, and, you know, uh, that you know, you can always do too is, sorry to interrupt you, Jay, but 
uh, introduce a kick the dog moment. This, you, just do something cruel to an innocent, nice thing that the players like, and that ought to motivate them to uh, at least hunt that dude down and beat the shit out of him, and then whatever narrative flow comes out of that, there you go. Yeah. But I think... I think despite uh, initially saying we covered this, I think at this point we can kind of say we kind of have reached our kind of, 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 um, we have reached where it feels like a naturally good stopping point is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm spitting out leaves from all the hedging we're doing. <laughs> what? I don't get it. Can you explain it to me like I'm a toddler? No. Thank you, everybody, for listening once you do the outro. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We are the Shooting the Sheet podcast. I was Jay. The- I, I was Jay. I'm still Miles, I think. Ew. I'm sorry. And No, it's fair. That's a fair us, reaction. You uh, should definitely check out our uh, first episode of the Fun Shop podcast. It's just a bit of a session zero. But it was still a lot of fun, and if you liked Gimme a Guy, you will adore us building multiple settings that it's a shame that we can't run all of them right now. Uh, but you can find all of that and the On Air Book Fair podcast. Uh, I also. Mimics. Oops, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I also want to put in a plug there. Um, depending on how things shake out, you are either going to see new uh, new art for our podcast on this episode or on an upcoming episode. And that was done by... Uh, their Instagram handle is Zykanelster. Uh, they're a fantastic person. I've known them from a, from a different Discord, and now they're in ours. And they uh, offered to make us some make us some art for our podcasts and uh i actually just paid them when we were doing the pre-record for uh for today oh nice thank you um yeah check them out uh i will have a link down for them as well as uh find all of our projects on mimicsmarket.com thank you everyone and we love you oh and like subscribe uh, call to action. Uh, give us a five stars on Instagram. On an Instagram. Give us five, give us five stars. stars on Yelp. <laughs> okay. Thank you for everyone who's made it this far. Love you all. Bye. Bye. Now, I want both of you to tell me that you love me, like you really mean it. Miles, do you go first?